Hello and welcome to Community Quest episode 213. I'm your host, Mike Apps, aka Wheels, and with me as always. Uh, super fighting robot in the Bernie Family Master. I feel like we should apologize for last episode where we were incredibly tired. I mean, yeah. It's usually just me. It was, it was a long week. Yeah. Sorry, but like we we had already committed to making the episode, so it's just a case of oh, we weren't going to junk the entire thing. But apologies to all who listened. It's all good. It's all good. How do you how do you have an? I guess this is another remake, so I guess it would have an yeah, arrange mode. I guess it's a remake of a remake. You know what? Uh, so for our listeners out there, I am going to be streaming some of. Neptunia Reverse. I have to be careful to say the name right because for some reason they removed the hyperdimension part. So, whatever. Uh, instead of actually starting that, I'm just going to go and see if I can download FF7 PS5. Is that supposed to be free if you already have the digital version, right? Or am I uh, wrong? Repeat that? Uh, the PS5 version of Final Fantasy VII Remake. Uh, yes. Okay. If you have the, uh, if you have a version that you paid for. Yes. So, as long as you don't have the PS Plus version, you get a free upgrade to FF7 Intergrade. Well, not the, not the Intergrade content. You get the PS5 version of the FF7 Remake. The intermission con, uh, episode intermission costs an additional $20. Can't buy this product because you already own it. Great. I don't remember how to go to download it. I hate the PS5's interface. It's really bad. Yeah. Game library, your collection. Oh, God. Can I sort this? Time of chimpanzees. I was a monkey. You painted my veins on Sony! What the actual... Fuck. So Sony is uh, coasting by on... Well, you, this isn't enough of a reason to get you to choose a competitor. Also, FF7's just up there right now. It's just what? Oh, I was just seeing that, like, that was just up there. It only says PS4, though. Yeah. I mean, the game doesn't officially come out until tomorrow, I don't think. But... Yeah, I saw it on the store before with a countdown for... That was, like, 40... with counting down to like midnight my time yeah it's gonna take you forever to download that thing anyway yeah like a million gigs here's the question is it already downloaded did it download itself I would not expect that uh, Joe used to be a streamer like me until he took an arrow to the knee that meme's officially vintage now. Yes. yes. But it's next-gen. Is it really? Is anything really next-gen? Is this game... A, is this PS5 game about about to play next-gen? Because I assure you, it's not really. <laughs> I don't think I've yet played a PS5 game that feels like anything more than a PS4 game with faster loading times. Yeah. Uh, 
Not the arrow to the knee. Are you sick of that meme too? It was just that that meme is officially ten years old. Yeah. Uh, well, it will be in approximately five months when we celebrate the 10th anniversary of Skyrim. I mean, you know, we're still dealing with Rick Rolls, so be careful. Some of those things can refuse to die. I mean, Rick Rolls are at least like, oh, I get to listen to a good song. Uh, let's see. I have an actual question. When will the chip shortage end? Uh... Yes. Probably, probably in like three years. <laughs> yes, Rick will roll. Will, will never die. Together forever and ever, Tupac. I heard it while Together. playing Fortnite. So there you go. Man, I don't think very many people actually remember the context that the original Rick Roll came about in. I do. I do. I think. What do you think? Maybe I don't know. I just remember. No, I'm curious. Uh, I, I don't actually remember the context. I just remember using like a tiny URL or something like that to hide. People like, would hide that URL in yeah. any way they could. And we don't have like things we have where you now where like you post a link like that in Discord or anywhere else, it gives you a preview, and it just also doesn't... people just inherently distrust that kind of link. Oh yes, that too. <laughs> but no, as far as I was ever able to tell, the earliest Rickrolls were done right when the trailer for Grand Theft Auto 4 first came out. Oh my god. And it just, like, every place where you could see it just immediately crashed. So someone would be like, hey, I have a mirror of it on YouTube or whatever. It's like, here's here's the link, and then you would click it, and it would be never going to give you up by Rick Astley. And it's like, of all the things they could have sent you to, that was, like, the least toxic thing you could have gotten, so... But that also means that Rick Rowling is, like, 14 years old. Like, Rick Rowling can go to meme high school. God. There is a... There is a filter for this PS5. Huh. Well, apparently I own Maneater on PS5. thought you knew that. I, I don't know. Oh, he, he rolled. I don't much care for the PS5. <laughs> it's kind of garbage. not a great... It's, it's, not, it's, it's not pretty good. bad. Oh, okay, what have we been playing, Will? Uh, what have I been playing? Um, I've been playing some more Shimigami Tensei 3 Nocturne, uh, which continues to be excellent, although very hard, because I've wiped probably a dozen times. Yeah, that's, that's how that game go. It's still very mean. Yeah. Uh, let's see what else have I been playing. Um, lots of Apex Legends, that's an RPG. You gain levels, you shoot things and numbers pop out. No? Nothing? Uh, sure, I guess I'll love I feel slide. like you're glaring at me from across the country. I just, I don't have what it takes <laughs> to stop you. Uh, but no, I've been playing some Final Fantasy XIV, trying to become a Dragoon. Trying to slog my way through the um, not so great early portions of that game. Uh, I feel like at this point, the first portion of Final Fantasy XIV needs another rebirth. A realm reborn, reborn. Sure, what? 
It's fine. It's fine. Uh, and I've also been playing some Shimigami Tensei 4 Apocalypse. That's a good game. It's a very good game. And so far, not as hard as Nocturne, but I get the impression that may change. It never gets as, like, mean as Nocturne, although it does get real mean right at the end. Sounds about right. That, uh, that final boss is one of the more obnoxious ones, but... It's a bit harder than uh, Vanilla 4, which kind of got easier by the end. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. The end of 4 is kind of simple. And, like, honestly, most of SMP4 Apocalypse doesn't really get that hard. It's just the final boss is, like, a huge difficulty spike. Yeah. Make sure you downloaded that DLC that lets you break the level cap. You'll need it. Okay. That's fun. Yeah. Okay. I'll have to remember that. That one was free DLC, though, so... See what else I've been playing. Uh, some more Man Eater, which continues to be sharktastic fun. Oh, what the hell else? Uh, and I streamed some Chocobo Mystery Dungeon yesterday, which I haven't played for a while. And there's a funny story yeah, I'm about disgusted that. that. I wasn't allowed on that. Uh, that's my bad. Uh, I got wrecked by the boss I'm currently trying to beat. Apparently, yeah. had to move away when it uses a super attack. And I'm pretty sure that happened to be the last time I played that game. And I completely <laughs> forgot. See, this is what happens when you set aside games for months and months. It's not good. Uh, yeah, I plan on playing some Final Fantasy VII Remake this week. Hell yeah, baby. I gotta do the episode intermission. Yeah. I gotta. I gotta see what Yuffie's been up to. I may... she, she apparently has a, a materia theft mechanic. Nice. May replay a bit of the main game, but mostly I just want to play that DLC. They locked to another console for some reason. Whatever. Listen, I, I still resent that. It's like just conceptually. Like, that's ridiculous. It is a little ridiculous, yeah. Ugh. <sighs> But as for me, uh, still a lot of Mega Man, which most of those haven't been RPGs yet. I am on my 17th Mega Man game <laughs> in the past three weeks, because I did 1 through 8, I did Mega Man and Base, I did the 5 Game Boy games, I did 9 and 10, and I'm currently on 11. So, like, this will be like the 17th one I've defeated in honorable combat. And, well, it'll be nice to have cleared out one of the sub-series. There's so many of these games. Like, contemplate the fact that for a long time, for like 10 years, we didn't get any Mega Man games. And then contemplate the fact that for 20 years, there were 60 Mega Man games released over that period. <laughs> Like, you were averaging three a year, but, like, that still took a while to heat up as well, because for a long time they were just releasing one normal, like, one just, like, classic-style Mega Man per year. And it wasn't until, like, the early aughts that there were enough games releasing, enough 
franchises still in active production that they were releasing multiple games a year and they just like so many just like you would get game, years where there was like there were four Mega Man games this year. <laughs> I, I can only assume that like Inafune had some sort of like brain thing that caused this to happen. Who knows? He's not in this Neptunia. Um, <laughs> Is he in one of them? He's in Neptunia too. Oh god, the original that's right. version of it. That's terrible. It was right when he had first left Capcom, and people were like, yeah, Capcom wasn't being fair enough to Inafune, and then the preceding ten years happened, and it's like, okay, maybe they were right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Mighty number nine. Mega Man 11 is what people wanted Mighty number nine to be. Yep. It's a lot. Um, but yeah. Uh, so yeah, playing Mega Man 11, that's a good game. Uh, it has a shop in it, so it's legally not an RPG, but has RPG elements. Nice. Um, but otherwise, uh, a bit more Skies of Arcadia. Uh, I popped in Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2 again last night in order to try to demonstrate a to a friend how to do combo. Nice. Did they learn? Uh, they figured it out, but... Uh, in conclusion, skate on, my son. Uh, and yeah, that's that's kind of been me over the past little while. Uh, I'm, I'm very much looking for, like, I guess after this I move on. I, I play more Skies of Arcadia because Skies of Arcadia and it runs. And then I guess I move on to Mega Man X as the next series to do. Nice. And I always prefer those to the classic line, so... That'll be fun. Uh, the light at the end of the tunnel will be playing Mega Man Legends again. Still waiting for that. Uh, old Mega Man like Legends. One and two and Misadventures of Tronbon. Yeah, hopefully I get far enough along in this that I'll feel okay when I inevitably set it down to play Ace Attorney, Great Ace Attorney 1 and 2 on Switch in like a month and a half. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's, your, that's, that's your video games report from me, video gamer. Yeah, any so. video game news since last week? Uh, mostly just companies announcing when they'll be doing their E3 presentations, or non-E3, but E3 presentations, depending on the company. I think there was something, but I'm drawing a blank. What are you saying? So I feel like there was something, but I'm drawing a blank. I'm um, googling video game news to see what we get. They announced a new Battlefield, I guess. Some sort of Call of Duty information. Dun 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 dun. No, maybe not. 
Yeah, it really seems like it's mostly just uh, just people, just companies announcing that they will be doing things rather than uh, sorry, brain dead because uh, I'm trying to like read no and scan for news. But oh god, I hate that Sony's like publisher label now. It's PlayStation Studios. That shit sucks. <laughs> they really want to be the Marvel Studios of game development. It's just like, oh god, don't do that. Don't do it. Don't do it. I just, I don't know. I don't. I don't want companies to embrace that degree of homogeneity. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, there's, there's not much uh, news. Do you, do you want to report what happened in my dream? That was exciting. Uh, maybe? I literally dreamed about a video game happening. Nice. I dreamed that Scalebound came back, but it had been rescoped <laughs> to be much smaller. Uh, and it was now sort of a sort of more traditionally Devil May Cry esque. That looks so neat. Yeah, yeah, it did. But it was just very weird to me when I woke up and I was like, "Why did I have a dream about Scalebound? <laughs> I haven't thought about that in a couple of years." Yeah. Well, speaking of platinum, I hope uh, Bayonetta three makes an appearance soon. We know that one of their games is actually going to show up. I think because it was brought up by name. Babylon's the game that we have fall. seen, yeah, the name of and, like, jack and shit else about. So that'll be interesting. Uh, but yeah, I'd like to see Bayonetta 3. I'm not sure I expect it, but I'd like to see, see it. Be nice. Why did it censor Soul E? Um... Oh. Is your game freeze? Because it seems like it stopped in the middle of drawing a no, text line. No, they, no, that is intended for some reason. Why would you do that? Whatever, I don't care. Um, <laughs> Remember what game series you're talking about. That still doesn't mean that they get to just like do whatever and I not question it at all. That's true. Um... Yeah, what else did we want to... Like, I think we went over what we wanted to see last week, or at least what we expected to see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, like, some of the presentations announced have put some, like, persistent rumors to bed. But, uh, Activision is likely to do some interminable presentation that's just about Call of Duty. They apparently just don't make anything else anymore. What the fuck? <laughs> right, I forgot what you forgot what game playing. you're playing? Yeah, apparently. Oh man, this is horny. Um Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I also just wanted to bring up that uh Wheels got smoked by a dog. What? One of the streamer, one of the Japanese streamers I follow, has oh, successfully yeah. played through 
all seven scenarios <laughs> of Saga Frontier remastered on stream. Yep. No confidence. Uh, but yeah. <sighs> yeah. Um, let's see. Is there anything else we want to talk about before we launch into a question that is near and dear to my heart? And that I don't think Gaijin would have much to say about, so I don't feel too bad about launching into. Uh, yeah, that's a good that sounds, yeah, I was going to say, that sounds like no. Yeah, that's a big old no. Okay, so, uh, dear, dear friend Fireminer uh, asked uh, in the Discord... Listen to you talking about the Super Nintendo and the difficulty of porting DOS games to consoles. I have this follow-up question, the 86 of my other, 100, other 126 questions. How the hell did people complain about the Saturn being hard to develop for and not the SNES or PS2? Both the Genesis and Dreamcast were easier to program than those consoles, respectively. Uh, so let me put this uh, delicately. There's degrees here. Uh, so one of the things that would have made the Genesis technically easier to develop for was the much greater abundance of Motorola 68,000 assembly programmers in that era, because they, they, you could get a bunch of Amiga people, and like, the 68,000 was an extremely common CPU, uh, and showed up in a lot of things. SharpX 68,000 used it for obvious, explaining its name. I believe that the Neo Geo also uses a Motorola 68000 in some capacity. Uh, oh, we've been raided. Have we? Yeah. RP Gamer is oh, raiding. Yeah, there goes. Hello, RP Gamer folks. Welcome. We're just starting into the questions on QA Quest. Yes. Uh, uh, yeah. Um,. The, there's, there's degrees here. So, like, there was an abundance of 68,000 programmers, but you were still... They were still kind of the same kinds of problems that you were dealing with. Shall I go down the number of processors that the Sega Saturn has? Yes, please. And we should also okay. remind anyone watching the stream that we are playing as a character representing the Sega Saturn, I think. No, she is representing the Sega Neptune. Whatever. Close enough. Which no, it's not. It's yes, very it different, actually. <laughs> it's a Sega thing, anyway. All right, uh, continue. Uh, so the Sega, the Sega Neptune, of course, being the uh, the attempt to make a Sega Saturn, uh, a Sega 32X slash Genesis combo that never came out. Uh, AKA one of the most ill-advised hardware decisions to even consider putting in productions. Okay, so the Sega Saturn has as its main CPUs a pair of Hitachi SH2s, uh, clocked at a much higher rate than the 32X, but otherwise basically how the 32X is configured. They share a RAM, uh, they share a work RAM cache, which means that the two essentially always have to be thinking, they the two have to be working in concert. You cannot, like they are, they are set up that one can control the other, but essentially you have to be keeping track of what both of them are doing because they share a cache. Uh, it has a 
uh, it has two different uh, sound processors for reasons I'm not clear on. One of them is a variant of the Motorola 68000, and one of them is an entirely custom sound processor that was made by Yamaha. I have no idea what chip family it forked off of, but, like, we're already at four processors. There's also the two video display processor GPUs. Uh, both of those have to draw to the same frame buffer. They draw to it at different times in the graphics pipeline. Uh, it's really complicated, and they don't actually have the same capabilities, unlike the SH2s. Uh, both video display processors are good at doing different things, and you have to work out how... Like, they need to work together to compose the entirety of a 2D or 3D image. Um, wow. And, of course, they're drawing onto a frame buffer, so they have, like, an additional part of their, like, pipeline. Uh, there's at least one other, uh, co like, manager pro coprocessor. Uh, which I, I don't, like, I think it's just supposed to help coordinate all these other processors, but it wasn't designed to do that either. Uh, it's a DM, a direct memory. It ha, it's composed of a direct memory access controller and a digital signal processor. Uh, and it might have one. It's it's supposed to have eight processors. Like people more informed than me say that it has eight. I'm not fully sure how many of those. Uh, like how what all of those are divided into. But it's a lot, and they're none of them. They they were all designed independently. None of them was designed to work with the others. Like, the most you could say is that one of them was designed after the fact to help manage the others. But not very not very specifically either. The Saturn is a monstrous piece of hardware. The only other piece of hardware from that era I can think of that's even slightly com complicated in that fashion would be the Jaguar. Like, it is a hideously complicated piece of machinery to get the most out of. You can make... A Saturn, if you can try to force the Saturn to work like other systems, and in doing so, you end up with something that's like just bottlenecked in every direction. So, like, you can get really impressive results out of the Saturn if you have a lot of time and money, like, way too much time and money. Hmm. Or you can just, like, do what everyone did and just sort of, like, try, try desperately to make your PlayStation games work on it. And then eventually give up and just stop making Saturn games. Yep. But, like, that that's the difference with the Saturn. It's, like, it's a difference of degrees. Like, the PS2 is more complicated than the Dreamcast. The Super Nintendo is more complicated than the Genesis. By, like, a step. The Saturn is more complicated than the PlayStation by, like, three or four orders of magnitude. <laughs> And, like, it's it's also worth noting that, like, having, like, eight processors now is the norm on a play, on a PC. And all of those processors are designed to work together, but and that helps. But it's also just, it's normal for people to know how to, like, modern programming languages have capacity to help you write multi-threaded code. And it's normal to have some experience writing that kind of code coordination. 
And in the era of the Saturn, it was not normal to have that. And you didn't have, like, a tool set that could make that easy on you. You just had to be, like, that talented and obsessive to be able to get the most out of the Saturn. And it just wasn't worth it for most developers. Like, it, it was just one of those things, like, your Saturn versions were inevitably going to take more effort to produce results that looked maybe comparable to their PlayStation or even N64 versions. And it just, you know, like, you could put that effort into anything else. You could just put that effort into making a better PlayStation version. And that would probably work out better for you in the long run. So that's why, like, that's why the Saturn's reputation is so much worse. Like, let me let me just break down the way that, like, uh, I'll, I'll use the example that is one of the things that, like, because this was so obnoxious to do on the Saturn, it got it got the misconception that it wasn't even possible. Uh, the assumption was for among a lot of people for a long time. That the it was that the Saturn did not have a unit dedicated to doing the kind of color math necessary to do transparency effects, and it does. It absolutely does. On VDP two, not VDP one. I don't think can do that. It's been a while. Like there's an explanation I once read slash watched i have read and watched several explanations but basically because of the way that it composes the image it composes the image like back to front and like vdp2 is the thing that typically did the transparent portions and because of the way that it composes the images back to front usually vdp2 was responsible for background layers and you ended up with this weird situation where like half transparency just wasn't that like, because of the way you had to composite the image together, it was nearly impossible to actually do a half-transparency. Because, like, it would just get it would just get overwritten by the data in the other video display processor. And, like, the, the, the fighting over how to write the frame buffer... Uh... Uh, the 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 right the order in which things wrote to the frame buffer meant that you would basically just never see a half, a, a transparent effect, and like the only way to actually get them was to essentially compose the image backwards. What? Like it required you to be so very careful about it, and that's why most games instead of using the transparency effect, they just use the mesh command that both of the VDPs could do. And that's why transparencies look like absolute ass on the Saturn. <laughs> because it's just like, it's reliant on the blurriness of the CRT to cause a, like, a transparency-like color math effect by blurring together scan lines. So yeah, uh, like the the Saturn is just leaps and bounds more complicated. It's like how like making 360 games was not easy, but making PS3 games was way way harder. Like that's how it is. Whereas like making PS2 games was not easy, 
but it was not the degree of harder that it was that the PS3 or the Saturn was. That's why the Saturn has that reputation, and the uh, PS2 and Super Nintendo. Model. Good old Saturn. I'm mystified they even made a game like Panzer Dragon Saga on the Saturn. Also, I think I'm getting shit talked in the stream chat. Oh, uh, it's possible. That's fine. Um, uh, uh, yeah. New staff member A. Wendy wants to rent you for birthday parties. Uh, I don't recommend that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, uh, keep talking, Ollie. We'll be right back. Oh, don't do this to me, wheels. Oh, that's fine. But, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, I'm finally free of just rambling about the just absolutely baffling nature of the Sega Saturn, so I guess I'll uh, stretch a bit. Uh, uh, what about the 32X? The 32X is basically the CPUs of the Saturn clocked at a much lower rate, so it's like the problem with the 32X comparative to the Saturn is that it's good at nothing because almost everything has to be done in software. It doesn't really have hardware for uh, like there's, there's the CPU doesn't have special commands for making 3D easier and it doesn't have special commands to make moving bitmap tiles around faster uh so, essentially, what the 32X is, is, like, like that's why you'll get, like, these 32X ports of, like, Genesis games that, like, they have more color, but they run like garbage, and it's because the reason, like, Genesis games, uh, yeah, John Carmack managed it. Not many other people, but, yeah, John Carmack managed it. But... Yeah, it's it's one of those things like uh, there are a couple of uh, people that managed to do decent things with it. Uh, there was uh, like Knuckles Chaotix is a bad game, but as a showpiece for the 32X, it's a very pretty 2D game with very nice music that you couldn't really do on the uh, stock Genesis hardware. And it had to do that by doing like this really complicated thing where, like, the Genesis does all of the background tile set scrolling and some of the music, and the uh, 32X does most of the character animations and the rest of the music, and, like, composited together, they look and sound good. Uh, if you've never seen this, there's actually a really good uh, Digital Foundry retro video uh, about that goes over every single 32X game and, uh, like, the technical underpinnings of each of them, and it's really good. It's, it's two parts, it's about an hour, uh, and it's absolutely one of, the, one of the best, like, quick explainers of how these work that I've ever seen. Uh, and there, there, I mean, there's not a lot of 32X games. I believe there are 40 32X games in total, give or take. Uh... It is. It is not many. Yeah, forty titles total. 
it's there's a lot of arcade ports or like slightly upgraded ports of Genesis games. Uh, I think the mech game you're thinking of is called Metalhead. That's I think the only mech game on the platform. There's some. Let's see, hidden gems uh, on the 32x. There's there's some decent games. Uh, Calibri's kind of neat. Uh, that's from the Echo the Dolphin developers. It's a side-scrolling shooter. Uh, it's just there's not a lot on the system to begin with. Uh, like Star Wars Arcade's a pretty good port. Um, Tempo Tempo is neat. Uh, Virtual Racing Deluxe has some tracks that are in essentially no other version of Virtual Racing, so that's kind of neat. Uh, that port of Virtual Fighter 1, if you're a Virtual Fighter nerd, is probably better than the Saturn version. <laughs> and maybe Zaxxon's Mother Base 2000. Like if you if you needed like to fill out your 32x library with decent like semi-exclusive games, that's what I would bring up. Uh. I believe Terminator was a Sega CD game. I don't believe there's a Terminator on 32X. So many of these are just, like, the absolute, like... Like, all of these, like... this, All the CD 32X games that are just using the 32X to decompress video uh, at a higher quality and faster are incredible. Like, Corpse Killer and... Uh, and all these all these games with incredible names. Uh, Slam City with Scotty Pippen and Tough Man Contests. <laughs> oh, WrestleMania the arcade game is a solid enough port, although it's by no means exclusive. Uh, yeah, that's, those those would be the I guess quick the quick hits on 32x. Uh, like special anti-recommendation to the Amazing Spider-Man Web of Fire which was made by the Vector Man developers but is sadly just absolute trash and incredibly expensive because it's the last 32X game and no one bought it um, and of course the list of cancelled known about cancelled games is nearly as long but yeah uh, oh man Izzy's quest for the Olympic rings remember Izzy? no is he was like the 1996 mascot of the Olympics, and they showed him in 1992, and everyone immediately hated him, and they spent four years trying to make him work, and by the time the next Olympics rolled around, he basically just disappeared. Absolutely incredible. <laughs> yeah. Um... <laughs> Was that on the there, there are no Leisure Suit Larrys on 32X. I'm not sure what Leisure Suit Larry would have been current in 1995. Uh, probably like six. That sounds about right. Bearing in mind that there was no four. Uh... Yeah, Leisure Suit Larry 6, Shape Up or Slip Out, would have been what was current in 1995. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. 
Can you believe they're still making Leisure Suit Larry games? I can believe it. I'm not sure I really care, but I believe it. Say what? I said I could believe it. I'm not sure I care. The original, the original Leisure Suit Larry games are pretty funny because, like, basically, do, do you know the origin of this franchise? It's very strange because, yeah. like, the creator Allo, like, one of the one of Sierra's first games was a like pseudo pornographic text adventure game called Soft Porn Adventure, and uh, that was profitable. So they said, like, make a graphical version of that to Allo, and Allo was like. This is the most 70s thing I have ever seen. <laughs> like, it is all—it is the 80s, and this is already super dated. It might as well be wearing a leisure suit. <laughs> and so he just reimagines Soft Porn Adventure, but, like, the protagonist is just, like, a complete loser. Oh my god. That's pretty funny. But, yeah. So, like, he just sort of, like... It, it was just... Like, basically, the entire first game is just clowning on the idea of you playing, <laughs> playing it. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah. Um, and then over the course of decades, it lost the parody element and just became exclusively horny. But uh, <laughs> that was uh, largely after uh, poor Allo left the series behind. Uh, yeah, um, I I care a lot about. Oh man, I'm remembering one of my favorite memories at PAX actually was. Uh, you remember Thimbleweed Park? I do. The uh, the general uh, the general like. Uh, for, for those who don't remember Thimbleweed Park, it was a throwback to the LucasArts scum adventure games. And uh, they had a bunch of the old people working on that. And I got the chance to just sort of, like, talk to one of the people working on that uh, about... First of all, it was uh, we, we tried to work out what the very first release of Monkey Island... When the very first release of Monkey Island with voice acting was. And that was fun. Uh, and then I got to talk to, like, the <laughs> the director of Zack McCracken and the Alien Mindbenders about the FM Towns Marty version of that game. <laughs> and that is an extremely obscure version of that game that came out only in Japan because there was no FM Towns outside of Japan. <laughs> but uh, it was fun to hear his opinion on that. He really likes that version, which is nice because it's a very nice version, but... I don't know. That was that was just fun to get the chance to do to just have that discussion. Uh, yeah, um, we have, we have left the Sega Saturn behind. It is in the rear view at this stage. <laughs> uh, if anyone in chat has questions they want to poke us with, go ahead. Um, let's see. Uh, but otherwise, we might have to dig into Fireminer's big list. Sweet. Oh, how many games were there on the Saturn that, had, that used the RAM cart? Mostly it was Capcom arcade ports, and it also depends on if you're counting the one megabyte RAM cart. 
And there's also a few games that use the cartridge slot for ROM rather than RAM, which is also confuses the issue. I think a couple of SNK's games, like, they just have additional uh, copies of ROM data on a cartridge to speed up load times. Uh, let's see. That, that entire cartridge slot, they, like, was super ill-advised. They intended to ship games on cartridge for a period and then someone pointed out that that didn't make any fucking sense and they stopped <laughs> but they had already like built the thing with the cartridge slot so they ended up using it for that oh my god yeah it's looking like a couple dozen games between the one megabyte and four megabyte ram cartridges uh some of them use it optionally but uh and just just for fun like additional incompatibilities uh, some things are compatible. Some things will work with both the one megabyte and four megabyte RAM cartridges, whereas other things will only work with the one megabyte RAM cartridge. But if you want to play Groove on Fight or like Real Bout Garodensep Special, I mean that was that was how you were going to have to do it. Or this pornography, I guess. I forgot that. I didn't realize that one of the, like, frickin' uh, porn games used the <laughs> used the 4 megabyte RAM expansion. Mm-hmm. Uh, welcome to Pia Carrot 2. I don't think they would have stripped out the porn in that version. Saturn, there are some... Like, Sega eventually stopped caring about the Saturn, and there's some stuff on there that's just like, oh, this is porn, I don't know how you got away with this. <laughs> uh, uh, let's see. Let's see. Uh, let's hit one that you and me would care about and that Gaijin would not. This is question number 67 from Fireminer. Uh, how do you feel about Persona 5 using the same template for dates for different characters? Wouldn't it be more exciting if Joker actually does different things for different girlfriends? It would be exciting. It would also probably be a bad use of resources. Yeah. Uh, uh, I have been asked to become someone's dad, and my response is I would be just the worst dad imaginable. Like, uh, went to the went to the br- drugstore five years ago and never came back. But occasionally mm-hmm. sends you letters about the Sega Saturn. Um, in any case, uh, it would be exci- like one of the things about like being in charge of a project like uh, Persona is, and really any large scale projects is that the, uh, the 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 weirdest thing about large scale projects like that is that there's always more you could be doing and i would be shocked if there was not a point in persona 5's development where they did want to do that and it like it just it's not it wasn't in scope like the game has to ship and like persona 5 took forever I can only imagine what happened during that game's development. Because, like, 
as as an actual development, like I'm sure that they spent a lot more time and money than they had originally intended. And if it had been anything other than Persona, it probably would have just been canceled. But eventually, like you just sort of decide. Uh, let's see. Yeah, like in the chat, uh, Wendy just mentioned I've worked on over half a dozen games, and even in some of my limited roles, all game development is absolute hell. Yeah, like no one would work in games if they didn't love it. Didn't love it. Like if they did not love video games, like it just doesn't happen. Because you will get paid better and work less hours using that skill set for anything else. <laughs> I can attest uh, to that. <laughs> yeah, and so. Uh, like the like, like for Persona Five, I'm sure that there was the the idea. I'm sure was suggested of like do different things with each girl, and the response was probably like it was probably even there was probably even some thought put into it. But like, do you make new like? There's already so much the scope that's in that game. Like even just down to uh. Like, you could reuse some of the assets that are for, like, unique dates that you can take people on, because those do exist. Like, they will invite you to go to specific... They will have specific interactions in specific places. But all of those places need to be places all of them can visit, or they become a bad use of resources. <laughs> and it's just like... I, I think that, you know, it, it just... It's such a big game. Like, it's like even even though the persona development model is built around the idea of trying to keep the number of overworld assets limited like they they blew out the scope a lot in 5 and like that that was just kind of something that some something's got to give something's got to give um see this was another one. Oh, another saturn one with the growing number of japanese exclusive sega saturn rpgs being translated lately soccer wars and the upgraded port of vandal hearts for example which saturn rpg would you like to see getting translated and reach a wider audience there are two of these that immediately come to mind one of which we've rambled about a number of times and that gaijin would back me up on and that's tengai makio the fourth apocalypse yep like, I want that game. That game sounds utterly fucking bananas. Mm -hmm. uh, for anyone who doesn't remember the last time we rambled about it, uh, the Tenkai Makio games were already built around the idea of, uh, like, a confused European explorer trying to explain Japan, and then taking that idea and taking it a step further by having someone badly explain America. And that game's just wild. <laughs> uh... <laughs> and, of course, uh, it only ever came out in Japan, and it came out on the Saturn and PSP, just like the other game that I was going to bring up, which is Princess Crown. The, uh, the first in the loose, like, not officially a series, but when Odin Sphere was new. Uh, when Odin Sphere was in production, its working title was Princess Crown 2. So, yeah, Princess Crown would be nice as well. But, I mean, there's a lot of things, because, like, Shining Force 3 Scenario 2 and 3 would be nice. Did those ever get fan-translated? I feel like they yes, did they at did. some point. And I okay, think they so... even uh, did, like, a 
fan translation oh, yeah, they did, of the like, first game. Or some kind of update to the first game. Yeah, probably to keep it consistent. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like, after that, you get into, like, what kinds of games do you want? Like, I'd like the other Sakura Tyson games, obviously, but then you get into, like, weirder stuff. Like, surely someone else wants Bakken Rotor. But, I mean, who, who played Bakken Rotor? <laughs> no one in America, that's for sure. We Didn't have a name attached to it. Uh, it actually, it had some people who are now more famous for anime uh, attached to Bakken Rotor. What did I interrupt you saying, Mills? I forget. <laughs> That's fine. I'm sorry. Uh, but yeah, Falcon Rotor would be kind of fun to see. Uh, but like, I mean, when I think of Saturn games that weren't released, as often as not, I'm thinking of uh, non-RPGs. Like, this isn't an RPG, but I'd really love to play the uh, Sagata Sanshiro game. Uh, if you... This is the, like, once every 20 episodes reminder. If you've never seen... A Sagata Sanshiro ad, please go look one up because they're incredible. Uh, they are absolutely beautiful. Uh, they eventually, they, there is a conclusion ad that advertises the Sagata Sanshiro game, and I don't want to spoil it, but it's incredible. But like a lot of them are just like. Sagata Sanshiro beats the hell out of you for not playing Saturn Bomberman or some shit. It's, it's wonderful every time. Uh, so fully recommended. Um, go look up Sagata Sanshiro ads, even if you don't care anything else about what we've talked about today. Sagata Sanshiro. Sagata Okay. Next one, we're going to have to wait for Gaijin before we can bring it up. Seventy. We're gonna have to wait until I can think of examples of such a thing. Uh, let's see. Uh, here's one that you and me can talk about that Gaijin would not have to would not say much about. Would not have much to say about. Um, if anybody were to try to make a sequel to Kotor, would they improve the old combat system or discard it for something else? I think a modern developer would probably make something. Yeah. Which isn't really a value judgment on it, so much as uh, Star Wars is mass market, and this is what is assumed to sell to the mass market. Yeah. Like, something... Because, like, KOTOR is, is like, D&D three and a half rolls. Yeah. Like, modified, but it's still, like, fundamentally those. And that style of combat, in general, it's just, like, it's it's out of style for the mainstream... And so you probably wouldn't see it. Why? Oh my! The the five clashing art styles and this is destroying me. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I would expect that they would produce something a little more actiony, just to get the broadest possible uh, Star Wars demographic. It's like I mean that's that's the reason you make a Star Wars RPG is that a lot of people will play it because it's Star Wars. See, um, I'm not sure, like, but, like, that also kind of speaks to the fact that it's hard to get people to approve a game like KOTOR nowadays, because it's, like, 
if you have the Star Wars license, you make the most mass market games you can think of. You make the game where I'm going to fly in the X-Wing or I'm going to stab people with my lightsaber. Mm-hmm. And you don't get like the long form like sort of storytelling that's assumed to be more for uh, nerds. Uh, oh, I didn't save it all, and I just wiped. Uh, oh, well, I guess that's that game over. Excuse me, I'm going to go put Returnal in real quick. Be back in a sec. Yeah, as much as I would like, uh, I would be, I would honestly, my personal preference for a new KOTOR would be just a strictly turn-based system. Because, I mean, like, I mean, real-time with pauses works fine in KOTOR. It looks vaguely dynamic, but it's a little confusing and hectic, and I don't feel like it offers a great deal of additional uh, a great deal adds, I don't think it adds a great deal to the game that would not be gained by just switching to a turn-based system with a better sense of uh, sustained strategy. But that's more just like, I don't like real-time with pods altogether. So this Neptunia game lets you start the game with a bunch of additional characters, so I assumed, well, this is kind of going to be easy mode, and wasn't trying very hard until I realized, oh, half my party is dead. Rip. Whoops. Okay, let's hit another one Gaijin wouldn't have much to say about. After two disappointing JRP, uh, not JRPs, MMORPGs, will Richard Garriott retire from making games altogether? I mean, he kind of already has... Didn't he go to space? Uh, yeah, for a minute there. I mean, why why would he do that and then go make an MMO? Let's be honest. I mean, like, I think he was mostly paid to attach his name to some MMOs. That's how it sounds to me. Yeah. Uh, he was apparently creative director on Shroud of the Avatar, which was like a Ultima homage uh, phone MMO. Uh, and like it's currently being run by something called Catnip Games Uh, like honestly Richard Garriott probably doesn't like before that 11 years prior he was attached to Tabula Rasa as like creative director and executive producer but it seems like he was mostly just like there to give it some sort of bona fides and then like Tabula Rasa just like died immediately it was killed within a year uh, but he seems like he's just he's got a, he's got plenty of money or at least enough money to just keep doing what he wants because like apparently he went into the Mariana Trench in February of this year <laughs> what is that? is that deep sea? yeah like super deep sea oh jeez uh, deepest oceanic trench on the planet Makes him the only person in the world to have visited space, both poles, and the lowest physical point on the planet. So, yeah, like, he's he seems like he's just sort of living out his dreams, which, you know what? If you've got that much money to borrow, I mean, I would honestly rather you do that than half the other things you could be doing. Yeah. Like, Garriott's a nerd, and he spends his time, like, going to weird places and buying houses that have frickin', like hidden passages in them. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, you know what? If you gave me too much money, that's probably what I would do too. Uh, so, I don't think we're 
going to see much out of him until someone pays him specifically to uh, appear as, like, some sort of executive in charge of some other thing. And, like, decent chance that'll be another MMO. <laughs> Uh, we might hit this one again when Gaijin gets back, so I will uh, only partially uh, highlight it, but uh, just let me know that we have touched upon it. But uh, this is question number 73, and I think we both have decent opinions on this. With Final Fantasy 6 and 9 being so acclaimed, why didn't Square do any spin-off or sequel like in the case of 4, 7, 10, and 13? 6 and 9 are popular among Final Fantasy fans. Yeah, they're not as popular in general. Yeah, like Final Fantasy fans love 6 and 9. General fans tend to love the first games on the platform. Uh, 7 and 10 are huge. Uh, 4 definitely has like a lot of nostalgic cachet. And 13, they needed to make their money back. Yeah, but it does have a decent number of fans. Oh, it does, but it's it's like it's not to the same it, like it's it's not to the same degree that like seven or ten does. Right. And it's it's more like this this was literally a statement made during a GDC talk that uh it, about the disastrous development of FF13. But basically, when they finished making FF13, they had enough raw assets to make two or three games. <laughs> Like, there was just so much leftover art assets designed for the FF13 engine that it would have been foolish not to make something from them. But, like, for 7 and 10, it's like, those are world-beater huge. And, like, as much as FF fans love 6 and 9, and that, like, that is not an insignificant number of people, there's just, like... Honestly, what would you even want them to make? Like, that's the other big issue. It's like, do you really want to see what they would do? Like, a lot of those sequels are bad. (laughs) Probably not. Like, take it from me as a huge FF7 fan. Like, I've played essentially all of those, and, like, most of them are better off forgotten. Like, Crisis Core is good. Uh, Seven Remake is good. Dirge of Cerberus game's just a trash fire. <laughs> like, the best thing about Dirge of Cerberus is the bit right at the beginning. Like, at the end of the first chapter, like, you run into, like, uh, Ketchy's operator. And... Oh, this is Returnal, by the way. Uh, yeah. For the person who just asked the in chat. Returnal. PS5 exclusive. But, uh... Like, the best thing about Dirge of Cerberus is the bit right at the end of the first chapter where, like, the operator of Ketchi shows up and gets shot, and Vincent's like, oh no, you've been shot, but then, like, his entire body falls apart, and it turns out that he was still piloting Ketchi in a doll of his own body. (laughs) While his real, like, his real self was, like, just somewhere far away. And it's just like, what? Why? In what universe did that make sense to you? In no universe does that make sense. Yeah, like, Crisis Core is really good, but, I mean, the rest of them you can kind of take or leave. Like, I don't know what you would add to FF6's story by doing a sequel or a prequel. And same with FF9, really. Like, FF9, like, you make a sequel and you have to acknowledge that VV is probably dead by then. (laughs) That's just depressing. 
Uh, and like also FF9, like there's like a passion project for Sakaguchi of like, oh, these were the this is the kind of game I like. This is a throwback to what Final Fantasy has been so far in the first 13 years of its existence. Ignore the fact that the franchise is now uh, over 30 years old. <laughs> yes, let's not talk about that, or I will turn to dust. Yeah, we'll all die. Um, I was like 10 when <laughs> 9 came out. Uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's that's why you don't really see those coming back. Like, the, the first one on a console has like an inkblot effect of like, that's the big one. And, uh, you know, because like, Usually, typically, not always, especially nowadays, the first one on the console comes out when there's less to choose from on the console, so it's like, it, it's a bigger fish. And then, like, the later ones, like, you you don't lure in as many people, because there's more games to play on the console, and people who had played the last, last one who didn't like it are just like, well, I don't need more of that. So. You just inevitably sell less until they need another showpiece for their big new console. Like, FF16 will probably be a big one just because it's, like, seemingly supposed to come out within the next year, fingers crossed. And, uh, you know, people need showpieces for their PlayStation 5s. But... That's just kind of... That's just kind of the way things go. Uh... See, were the first two paras- have the first two Parasite Eve games aged well? How much will they benefit from a Resident Evil 2 style remake? Well, I mean, anything could benefit from that kind of remake because that's not just a that is a fundamental rethinking of how the game functioned and rebuilding it from scratch. Uh, as for like, I think they're interesting. I think they're kind of hard to recommend because. There's pacing issues with Parasite Eve 1. It's a short game, but, like, the second day of it is really boring. <laughs> so, you... Like, it's all set up. And, like, eventually it's, it bears out as being worthwhile, but it takes a long time, and it kind of kills the pace. And Parasite Eve 2 is kind of a bad Resident Evil knockoff. But, like, I mean, like, you could you could make something out of them, certainly. I would much rather they did that than try to follow the plot of the third birthday. <laughs> if that, that's an unmitigated disaster in terms of plotting. Uh, but, yeah, like, that... I, I mean, I would not want to... But, like, I, I don't think... Like, a big issue with Parasite Eve is that it's, it's a licensed title. Like, part of the reason we don't see that come back very often is that it is based off of, I think, a light novel of some description. It might be an actual novel, but, you know, it's it's licensed, and, like, that's why it doesn't come back very often. Uh, and that would involve renegotiating a license that, honestly, like, how much is that really going to be worth to them at this stage? I don't think that there's still parasite e stories coming out outside uh, the concept of a game, so I just... But, I don't know. Uh, I think you could make something pretty good out of, uh, especially, like I think you would need to make two very different remakes, though. Yeah. Is the other thing because they're they're not very similar games, other than thematically and like sharing some characters. 
wow, that was an yeah. immediate. You craved that pit. I'll be right back. I need some kind of snack to keep myself up awake to the end of this. <laughs> be right back. Parasite Eve remake. Uh, ironically, I feel like uh, like Parasite Eve two. Yeah, you would you would remake that kind of in the same way you would remake Resident Evil two. Uh, Parasite Eve one. I think the remake to that would honestly more resemble the groundwork you would lay for a Vagrant Story remake of all things. Uh, we're not getting remakes of either of those, but it's an interesting intellectual curiosity. Like, what would those look like? Uh... Yo, 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 yo. You bet? Pretzels. Oh, yeah. So, uh, here's another one that we can probably get to pretty quick. Uh, how big is the gap between a good RPG and an R RPG people personally invest in? For example, Nocturne versus Persona 3. Characters. It's characters. It's always characters. Yep. Like, uh, Nocturne is a wonderfully produced RPG. Uh, it's an incredibly mean one, but it's, it's well produced. But the, like, degree of personal investment, it's just never going to be there because it basically doesn't have characters. Mm -hmm. Like, there are a couple characters in Nocturne, but they exist to represent abstract philosophical concepts, and they don't really act like people. Uh, whereas, like, Persona 3, like, I have my issues with that game, but, like, people love it because they got invested in the characters for good and ill. Mostly ill. So, like, whatever. Say what? Mostly ill. We can have our issues with the plot and whatever, but, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's that would be my uh, like you know like a lot like a game uh, a lot of JRPGs like a lot of RPGs in general like the plotting is fine but it's like when people say they when people used to say they would invest in an RPG for the plot, it's not usually really the plot they were into. It was, like, the characters and the interactions they had, like, that sort of thing kept people going when the plot was generic. Was like, this was charming, so I was I was enjoying it. Like, there's, uh, that's the thing with, like, Skies of Arcadia. Like, uh, the plot is as bog-standard by the numbers as you can make. But it doesn't matter because it's really, it, it's just fun to watch the characters bounce off of what's happening and like the earnestness of the game really does it a lot of favors like that sort of thing it's it's toned characters that get that emotional investment and that's why something like nocturne has really hardcore fans who care a lot about its game design balance and its artistic ideas and philosophical ideas and they are much fewer and further between than the people who play a persona game and like love the cast and get obsessed with that. Like, people relate to people. Uh, well, you were just craving getting attacked by this barnacle from Half-Life. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Uh, speaking of Skies of Arcadia, uh, another question from 
from Fire Miner's list. What is the first PS2 RPG that could really stand to toe to toe with Skies of Arcadia? F of Ten did not do this for me. Somewhere. Uh, no. I'm why scared. would you say that, even as a joke? It's harsh. I give you a swirly. Um. But yeah, I mean, like the. I've, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Like the, the PS2 was a real slow starter. Like the first year and a half of the PS2 is basically a write-off. Uh, I, I say year and a half because I'm counting from the Japanese launch in March of 2000 to around November of 2001, when Metal Gear Solid 2 and Grand Theft Auto 3 and Final Fantasy X all launched. And like those might not have been. Uh, to the standard of uh, you know, like FF10 might not be the standard of PS2 RPG uh, as, uh, to the standard of Skies of Arcadia, but it's one of those things like it was big um, for really great PS2 RPGs if we're not counting that uh, I mean, I would probably bring up some there's some silly things that I would bring up that no one would agree with. <laughs> because they're, they're things like Breath of Fire Dragon Quarter, which I love for very different reasons than Skies of Arcadia. Uh, this is not to the same level of Skies of Arcadia, but I think Wild Arms 3 is similar in the sense of being a game that is very good for being very good at the fundamentals rather than being, like, a super innovative game. Um, let's see. There's a lot of... Uh, like... Because it's also... It's, it's quantity as well. Because, like... The... Uh, the Dreamcast has essentially two truly great RPGs, and that's kind of it for your RPGs. Because you've got Grandia 2, and you've got Skies of Arcadia, and then you got, like, Evolution? Yep. That's not a great game. Just, just gonna put that out there right now. The hot take. Not a great game. Dragon Riders of Pern? <laughs> oh my god, what's that? Oh, I forgot that happened. But yeah, like, so... Like, there's a lot of PS2 RPGs in 2002, which is, like, right after FF10, that I think are really strong. Even if few, if any of them, could match up to Skies of Arcadia as a total package. And I think that's something that people... Like, people talk about system sellers, like, the one game that sells you a system. And, like, it's important... For there to be a huge game that gives the critical mass of like, look at this, you need to have this. But in the background, there's all these other games that are like, this is the thing that helps you justify the decision you just made. <laughs> so like, oh, and a bunch of people would argue this. I personally wouldn't, but a bunch of people would probably argue for Dark Cloud 2 as another of those like uh, great PS2 RPGs. Um, nope. Yeah, not for me. Um, but, like, you get all of these, 
You get all these PS2 RPGs. Uh, like, they just all start coming out into critical mass all at once. And it's like, it doesn't matter that Drakon the Ancient Gate or Tales of Destiny 2 or Summoner 2 or, like, Xenosaga Episode 1, Dare Wills of Mouth is not as good as Skies of Arcadia because you aren't going to just play one game. It doesn't matter that Wild Arms 3 and Breath of Fire Dragon Quarter and Suicode and 3... Like, all those are 2002 games. Everything I just rattled off is a 2002 game. Like, it doesn't matter that those are not as good as Skies of Arcadia. Because that's a dozen games I just listed. There were four dot hacks released in 2002. Oh my god. Maybe three. Quarantine might have been early 2003. But the point is, like, the first, the, the first set of dot hack games was mostly done. In 2002. Like, that being spoiled for choice is important. And, like, I'm not even listing some of the things that were, like, or, or like, Kingdom Hearts was also 2002, and that was huge. And, like, you might not think it's as good as Skies of Arcadia, and that's fair, but it was huge. Um, so, like, or you get into, like, like the... The ones that no one played, but that are really charming too, like Tsukunai Atonement. Like, that game owns. No one's played Tsukunai Atonement, it owns. Go play it. Um, what is it? Tsukunai Atonement was a game where you were a, like, treasure hunter. Uh, and you your character starts by, like, climbing an ancient tower and stealing a sacred artifact. And, like... The, go the gods look at that and are like, absolutely not, and like, separate <laughs> his like, spirit from his body. And you have to like, help people by like, possessing them in order to, uh, to essentially atone for what you've done and get your body back in like, this little village. So like, you're, pr you're progressively helping people in this, like, village uh, in, like, more small-scale quests in order to earn the right to have your body back. Huh. And, like, it does ultimately have, like, a sort of conclusive thing, but, like, a lot of it is really pleasant and small-scale in a way that, like, you know, no one no one's played it, but it's neat. Uh... And I'm not surprised that Tam both owned and has never played Tsukunai Atonement. <laughs> but it's neat. Uh, and I think it has, like, it has, like, Yasumi Matsuno music or something. It's someone that's, like, really, uh, it's, it's a name composer. Uh, Yasunori Mitsuda. Yasumi Matsuno is the fucking FFL director. I get those mixed up sometimes. I think it's the YM thing. But yeah, uh, Yasunori Mitsuda, the Chrono Cross and Xenogears composer, uh, did music for Tsukunai Atom, and it owns. It's a great logo. Uh, that's my answer to your questions to go play Tsukunai Atom. It's probably not as good as Skies of Arcadia, but it's really good. And like that's kind of like, the it, it exists as my answer in the sense of, I don't know how many games I would even consider as good as Skies of Arcadia. It's one of my all-time favorite RPGs. So, like, it's hard for me to answer this question because I'm not 
even super certain that someone ever did make one as good. But there are a lot of great games, and that's what mattered. That's why the PS2 was the RPG system that the Dreamcast wasn't. Even if nothing ever quite matches up to Skies of Arcadia. Uh, let's see. Uh, this one I'll throw out. Uh, just because I don't think either of us have much of an answer for it, because I don't think we play these kinds of games. Uh, is it just me, or does it feel like racing games with light RPG elements seem to have gone away? I think you're right, just based on observation, but I don't play these kinds of games, so I don't know. Uh, like... I... I don't... Like, it, it feels like they've, like, racing games in general have moved away from that kind of progression. But I don't play enough of them to know. <laughs> you got a penny Uh, I don't think I've ever played a racing game RPG. Or anything uh, like that, really. Well, well, he said with light RPG elements. Yeah. The progression of something like a... Uh, Need for Speed uh, from the mid aughts was vaguely RPG-ish in certain places. Okay. So, uh, or like you get like uh, Burnout Paradise has some like some of that progression as well. Although it's also open world, like it's it's a lot of it's you know, uh, as we've discussed many times, the RPG Gestalt has borrowed elements of RPG, and that seems to have somewhat gone away. Um, let's see. Uh, hit another one uh, besides the world and you which DS or 3DS game do you think is impossible to be ported to a single screen without losing something important hmm Etrian Odyssey yeah that's kind of the big one yeah you really like it's, it's heart and soul is in that ability to be mapping while you're playing yeah you lose that and it's just another first-person dungeon crawling it's not quite the same like it's a good one yeah but it's like you just don't get the same out of it that way uh, can we think of any others like there's a lot of games on the ds that i love most of them aren't uh like the other ones typically uh, like usually they're taking advantage of the touch factor which means that their things can be approximated it's the it's rare that it's like the problem is uh, the they need that second screen We might come back to this one next week if we can think of something more. Yeah, sure, I can think of some more. Yeah, so we'll try to keep this in mind unless you can think of something while we're finishing out the podcast. You seem tired, and I'm a little tired, so... I'm not tired, you're tired. Wait, that doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, uh... Let's see, so I'll mark this one as, like... Return to it. Returnal to it. No. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, let's see. Uh, I guess we can hit a couple more. Uh, uh, 81, do you think Square Enix is committed to the world ends with you as a franchise, or is Neo another passion project? Uh, I would say that the existence of a world ends with you anime to go along with Neo indicates that they want Neo to spawn a proper franchise. Mm. Like, an anime tie-in is a big commitment with a lot of money behind it. And I think that they are hoping it becomes something bigger. Uh... So, yeah, I, I would suspect that uh, they, they have plans for World Ends With You post-Neo, assuming that Neo does not undersell expectations. Don't you guys dare let it undersell expectations. <laughs> uh, oh, that comes out around my birthday, too. I guess I can give that to myself. What's that? Uh, Neo World Ends With oh, You. Yeah. What day does that come out? Also, I think it's getting a worldwide release all at once, which is enough. Yeah, July 20th. No, wait, that's, that's the original. What the fuck is wrong with you, Google? <laughs> Neo The World Ends With You comes out July 27th, 2021. Okay. And it comes out worldwide. So that comes out two days before my birthday. I'm going to die. <laughs> that comes out like two the same day as Great Ace Attorney Collection. Why would you. Why did they do this to me? Very good question. Whatever, whatever. Um, in any case, uh, yeah, I, I think uh, between a worldwide release and an anime tie-in, I think they really do want World Ends With You to become a franchise. Uh, 82, we actually got asked by, uh, who was that? Boomerang, I think, that asked us about Chinese RPGs before. I still have my notes to pick up and play some of the ones that Boomerang recommended, so... But we can't answer 82 yet, because, well, we haven't played any of them, and I hope to change that. So the answer to this may evolve at some point. Uh... See, oh, we can hit this one because I already mentioned one of my favorites. 83, what are your favorite and least favorite video game commercials from America and Japan, respectively? Hmm. Uh, I can think of one really funny one from Japan I saw for Final Yeah, Fantasy. although we do need to bring up least favorites as well, but yeah. Um, there was a Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles, the Crystal Bear Bearers commercial in Japan featuring the newest Bon Jovi single at the time which mm -hmm. made no sense whatsoever but it was funny yeah uh, there's there's a lot of great ones from Japan which is I think why uh, he asked for least favorite Japanese ones uh, we'll have to ask Gaijin about this as well because of course he will have probably seen more of them uh, but uh, like, 
Uh, as far as my least favorite, uh, my, my least favorite commercials uh, from uh, for from Japan it would probably be like some of the early Sonic commercials from Japan are really weird and upsetting looking mm -hmm. uh, because they're like they're done in this weird claymation style that's really off-putting. <laughs> Uh, and of course, like the best ones for me are the Famitsu, uh, not Famitsu, sorry, I'm thinking of another thing that I'm going to bring up in a minute, but my, the best ones are the Sagata Sanshiro ads. Sagata Sanshiro. Sagata Sanshiro. Sagata Sanshiro. Uh, my, uh, favorite... American commercials. This one was not my favorite to see at the time, but I think it's so charmingly dated that it's incredibly funny to me now, and it's the American Sega Saturn commercials that's just, like, a man yelling at you about how we are five years from the new millennium. <laughs> and then, like, a bald lady with rings floating around her head, and it's just like, you guys needed to just calm the fuck down. <laughs> Uh, similarly, like a lot of Sega stuff, like I hated seeing those ads at the time because they were just way overdone and overplayed. But like the, if you've never seen the one where like an angry man just shouts at a child from the TV, Hey, you still don't own a Sega CD. <laughs> and just like, you like just a explosion of video games in your face. It's all so stupid looking. It's incredible. Um, and of course, least favorite uh, game commercials from North America are probably the ones uh, that like were just really into like I think there's like a Yoshi's Island one where a dude just explodes, <laughs> like he eats too much and explodes, and then it's just like yeah, play Yoshi's Island. It's gross. It's just like why? Why did you make this? Uh, there's another one. Uh, um, oh, I was thinking of other ones that I really like. Uh, this one was supremely deceptive, but it was so... But it's like, it's hard not to mention it. The, the FF7 ad that has no gameplay in it. It's all the CG cutscenes. And it's like, well, it tricked a lot of people into playing RPGs, so it means a lot to me. Um... <laughs> <laughs> uh, Hmm, I'm getting chained for something. Oh, uh, Tam has uh, decided to add in a Secret of Evermore commercial that I have never seen in my life. Oh. Huh. So I am going. That sounds vaguely f familiar. Oh, but... my. This is animated. Wow. Oh. This is a pretty neat commercial, actually. Huh. Yeah, no, this, this is a good one, actually. Uh, it honestly makes Secret Evermore look way more exciting than it does when you're just playing it. <laughs> uh, thanks for the heads up, Dan. Uh, let's see. This... I call it commercial. He, he hates the Secret Evermore commercial. I think it's charming, actually. Uh... 
Uh, yeah, that FF9 Coca-Cola commercial is an artifact of a time. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, like, I, I love smirking at, like, weird, bad commercials, but, I mean, like, the, the animation in that commercial is actually pretty nice, so, I mean, I kind of don't dislike it. Um, let's see. Uh, Secret of Evermore, what a weird game. <laughs> <sighs> but yeah um, it's also the Chinese or J-pop oh we got Gaijin time sweet just in time we hit some of the questions he was uh Hello. Hello. So, apparently I was like five minutes too late last week. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. You caught yeah. us right after we had finished last week. Yeah. Uh, we've hit some questions on Fire Miner's big list. Uh, you were thankfully spared me ranting about how the Sega Saturn works, but I was, we mostly hit I was hit wondering quest- if I was going to catch that. Yeah, you were spared. It's quite fascinating, yeah. actually. I will not ask you to repeat. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's it's it was fun. Uh, oh, but there were some questions aimed essentially directly at you that we skipped over, so I wanted to let you go. Sure. Uh, which were questions sixty nine seventy, which are directly about Linda Cube. Okay, let me let me try to open this up. Thing up. There we go. Fire Miner's long ass Q and A list, take two. Which numbers? Sixty nine and seventy. Sixty nine and seventy. Please try to do a sales pitch for Linda Cube for a normal gamer. <laughs> so, yo, dude, so I hear you like extreme stuff, right? Well, get get this. So here's a game that goes so extreme when it was first published that it actually got listed as a reason for legislating warning signs on video games. And for How about reason. that, dude? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's that's just how awesome the, the cutscenes are in this game, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to explain any more than that, because that should be the sales pitch right there, and anything else will just be weird. So. They won't get it. You, need to, you have to have seen it. It's all in context. It is so much in context. Uh, yeah, uh, and the follow-up question, of course, was... Uh, other than Linda Cube, Live Alive, DQ4, and the Saga franchise, which RPG composed mostly of vignettes, would you recommend? And I was trying to think of any before. Uh, um, uh, first thing that comes to mind is Maple Story DS. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, below. Which I mean, technically it was okay. Technically it was sort of one, sort of two unified stories um, told from four different points of view. I'd say it counts. Yeah, it counts. <laughs> Um, let's see, Treasure of the Rudras, oh, which yeah. is in the same camp as Live Alive and Love Saga, has a lot of the same development team. Um, mm-hmm. That one was told from three different viewpoints, uh, three different intersecting narratives. Yeah. Um, yeah. You mentioned Octopath, right? Oh, no, we didn't. But, like, we hadn't actually done this question because I wanted to have you on because I felt like you'd be more knowledgeable. But 
Octopath, yeah. yeah. Octopath's the biggie there. Um, I think... Um, oh, um, what was it? There was a, in, a Super Nintendo game. It was very... It, it was like there were seven like seven or eight apprentice magicians and one was a traitor and you're thinking of Elnard I think or yes. whatever it's called in English I forget Seventh seven Saga seven Saga yeah Seventh Saga but don't play the English version because they they forked it up <laughs> massively but yeah that one okay that one doesn't quite work a bit it's it's kind of weird anyway so you could play that one in Jap- the Japanese version with the there, there's an yeah there's a translation patch that just puts the English localization over the Japanese balance yeah <laughs> Uh, something told entirely in vignettes. Yeah, that's pretty rare. Yeah, and hard to do well sometimes. Um, um, oh, uh, the longest seven minutes, or longest five minutes. Oh, yeah. Um, which, again, it's a unif- it's technically a unified story, but, um, honestly, I wish they had kept the full title in English, The Longest Five Minutes in the World. Yeah, uh, but if if you haven't heard of this game, um, it's one of those fun, funky little experimental titles that Nipponichi like to do sometimes, or like to publish sometimes. And in this case, um, the actual plot starts at the final battle against the big bad super evil mega death dude, and the hero is has been struck with plot induced amnesia, massively, and he can't remember even how to swing a sword. So um, the five, last five minutes in the world is the five minutes in which the boss, the, the final boss, needs to charge up his super attack, and the hero's friends are all frantically trying to get him to remember stuff um, before time runs out and they all die. Um, <laughs> and each of the memories is played out as a separate vignette in the story. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. So I mean, technically, it's all the same cast, but it's not necessarily all told in the same order or have any direct connections between some of the vignettes. Yeah, I, I would assume that we can sort of expand this question out into things that have, like, non-traditional narrative structures. Uh, Very non-traditional narrative structure. Uh, uh, Tim points out that uh, ZHP did something similar. Yes, it uh, did, actually, Hero didn't project. it? Yes. Yeah. Zetai Hero Project. Yeah, um... Anything else that has a similar, like, different routes to the same boss or different things? Um, like, it's not a vignette thing, but I always thought that the... Like, I'm not sure that the game really pulled it off, but I always thought that uh, Suicoden 3's uh, Trinity system was kind of interesting, where you, like, were swapping between perspectives... Uh, and then, like, ultimately had to decide who was the, going to be the primary hero of the game. Yeah. Um. But... Hmm. Yeah, I'm trying to think of any others um, that weren't... I mean, some of the ones I'm thinking of now are actually just so mission-based and so randomly mission-based at times that they appeared like vignettes. Yeah. But... Yeah, but that wouldn't count properly. Yeah. 
There was another question, actually, that I wanted to retouch on with you, just in case you had something to add to it. Yeah. Before, uh, which you, was, before you oh, do yeah. that, um, Mon Cappy in the chat asked about the origin of my nickname, so I have to tell that stupid story real quick. Uh -huh. uh, so, way back in the day, when AOL Instant Messenger was a thing, uh, I used to have my real-life friends and the people I played Warcraft 3 with on uh, the same friend list. <coughs> yeah. And so one day, I put up a, uh, a way message saying um, I needed a new nickname because I was sick of people calling me Mikey. I did not like it. Uh, so one of my Warcraft 3 friends uh, sent me a message saying, how about wheels? And I did the worst possible thing and said, no, that's stupid. Why would I ever be called that? Uh, and so naturally it became a mem among uh, my Warcraft 3 friends uh, to keep calling me wheels over and over again until eventually like you eight years later or so I just started using it as my nickname and mm. that's that and I added the ask part obviously once I started doing Q&A quests or Q&A at RP Gamer. so there like you go when you were doing the mailbag yes that is my st stupid nickname origin story I mean mine was just like I needed an actual single username to for uh Wonder Slime's old SOCK uh, column game. <laughs> Before then, I was just ran I was randomly choosing different usernames every single time because I was I don't know, young and dumb. I don't know. Um, My username sucks, and the reason behind it also sucks. But uh, I think I've gone into it before. But basically, uh, in an old issue of EGM, there was a joke quiz about what kind of like what what kind of nerd you were and uh one of the like there was like uh you know there was everything from normal person irrational fanboy and then there was uh the the final appellation was uh fanboy master which came with an image of a person sitting in front of a computer uh this is this really dates it but it was basically someone saying uh I'm afraid that your Kingdom Hearts sales figures are off by 1,014 units as of 15 minutes ago. Once again, I win. <laughs> and that image amused me so much that I was just like, sure, fine, I'll use that. And I didn't think it was going to matter because it's like, well, I might just change it later. And then I never did. And so now my name just sucks for all time. Oh, well. Just lean into it. Be the master. Uh, also, uh, did I just call it a meme? Is it a meme? meme? I, I'm tired. Meme. I'm meme. tired, man. I'm tired. I always mispronounce things. But yeah, so so there's uh there's all of our name origins. Let's see. Um. There's uh there's another one. Uh, these quest there are a couple of questions that we got to that I thought you might have something to say about Gaijin. Mm -hmm. uh, 73, with Final Fantasy 6 and 9 being so acclaimed, why didn't Square do any spin-off or sequel, like in the case of 4, 7, 10, and 13? 
And, like, the conclusion that we came to was just, like, FF6 and 9 are popular among Final Fantasy fans, whereas FFs, the, the ones that got spinoffs and sequels are popular among, like, more general audiences, and that's why those get spinoffs. I, I, I seem to remember, like, the head of the Final Fantasy Super Nintendo years saying something to the effect that Final Fantasy V was the more popular one. Yeah, because that also had an OVA sequel. Yeah. Um, so I've first, for, yeah, for, yeah, yeah that. that was an interesting one. Um, <laughs> I mean, for the longest time, they weren't doing spinoffs, period. Yeah, which is and, also why Legend of the Crystals was such a big deal at the time. Yeah. Um, I mean, Seven got spinoffs just because it was a runaway hit, probably a lot more than they even expected. Oh, and yeah, so, yeah. And so they just wanted to keep capitalizing on that while they could make hay and pay for other projects. Um, Ten, which they're still had, doing to this day. <laughs> yep, which is still doing to this day, just because it is that much of a cash cow. And then Ten was an obvious one for a sequel, just because of how they set up the ending. Yeah, like they created an ending where people would want a sequel. Yeah, yeah, and um, I mean, wish they had done better with the sequel, but I mean, it's there. I love the sequel, but it's very yeah. divisive. Um, I mean, I would probably would have liked the sequel more if it had actually paused time in menus in battle. Ah, uh, that'll do it. I thought there was a wait option. There was a wait option, and it did not work when you're choosing items. Huh. That's <laughs> or at least it never worked for me. Um, yeah, I was never able to finish a, any of the Chocobo catching anything because things always ran while I was trying to find the carrots. Yeah, you gotta be real fast. Yeah. Um, they really could have toned down the action part of the action sequences there. Meanwhile, I'm um, an action junkie, so they, that was fine for me. But yeah, that, that would do it. Yeah. And as for 13, that was, from the get-go, that was supposed to be a massive cross-whatever Oh yeah, they, they announced project. that with the, with the horrible new phrase they made up, polymorphic content. <laughs> yeah, Fabula Nova Crystallis and everything. So that one was intended to have spin-offs from the get-go. Yeah, and then we, we also brought up the, the GDC talk that was given right after 13 came out about the disaster of actually making FF13 uh, had Motomu Toriyama uh, offhandedly mention that when they finished FF13, they had enough assets for two or three games. And it was just like, at that point, it would have been wasteful not to make se direct sequels. It's just like, this is built for this engine and it's spec to this, we just have to, we just kind of have to make these. Yeah. Um, and as for f number four, I think it was just at some point they realized that this one game has the longest lasting nostalgia factor of anything they have ever made, and they need to make something else for the DS while the DS is still around, so let's do this. They made a DS remake, and they made that... Uh, the After the, Years. The After Years, which... Which, that okay, uh, that was cell phone oh, and that, beware. That's something to have mentioned for number 70, the after years. Oh, yeah. yeah. That is vignette based because it was sold as chapters on a cell phone. And it worked a lot better as chapters on a cell phone. Yeah, like that set the, that set the correct expectations for what you were getting. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember writing the impression for this thing years ago. Um, and it was, I mean,. That's what I heavily leaned in on. Is like this is not the kind of game you would expect it to be. Mm -hmm. So keep that in mind, please. Don't try to eat it all at once. It's not meant to be played that way. Yeah, and yet that's what everyone did. Yeah, and everyone got indigestion. 
and everyone crapped on it. And I'm wondering how much farther I can take this metaphor. I'm a little concerned. I don't really want you to take it further. Ha ha ha. And now it's soil. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. yeah, the after years. Right, yeah, that's right. that's another that's another one. Um, let's see. There's one other. Oh yeah, here's another one that you might have some insight on. We could only come up with one for this. Besides, the world ends with you. Which DS or 3DS game uh, do you think it would be impossible to be ported to a single screen without losing something important? And all we could come up with was Etrian Odyssey. <laughs> Even then, I mean, the Switch is capable of split-screen functionality and touchscreen. Yeah. So, I mean, it may take some doing, and you may have to get used to playing them side-by-side side instead of next to each, instead of up and down. Which, okay, there are several games I can think of that use the split-screen for battles in that way, which would make things weird. Yeah, those would um, be a... Um, uh, let's see... Um, your hero, which was an awful game in a lot of respects, but it still it used both screens for battles, mm-hmm. and much better game, Summon Knight Tear Crown. Oh yeah, was that really, which is that the one that was released here as Twin Age, or is it a different one? It's a different one. It's the one that really looks like somebody was channeling Final Fantasy IV. <laughs> um, but it also made extensive use of the dual screens because all the characters had um, direct and indirect attacks. Mm-hmm. which varied in power, and um, you had to do long range to attack enemies from the top screen and things like that. That's neat. So, and certain certain party members could fly and others couldn't. Uh, oh, this was another one that you might have something to say about. I, I just want to bring it up before I forget about it. Um, we were asked our favorite... American commercial and least favorite Japanese commercial, and we don't. We obviously don't have a lot of exposure to Japanese game commercials. Mm-hmm. So. So games commercials. Yeah, specifically games commercials. Okay, well, I there's one that I remember seeing only once. I'm not quite sure. I think my grandmother taped it when she was taping the Cities of Gold or something or other. Oh uh-huh, yeah, Cities Gold. Yeah. It could not have been Cities of Gold because this was later than that time period. But Mm -hmm. for some reason, I actually saw the the TV commercial for Secret of Mana. Oh, man, that did not run very often. Yeah, uh, that was not run very often. I only saw it the once, and it took me years to realize what I had seen. (laughs) But it was definitely Secret of Mana. Hmm. Uh, That was pretty awesome. I remember seeing the original Final Fantasy VII commercial that was almost all cutscenes and I had um, little interludes with a like the vocal fry movie announcer guy and it's like it ended with and you can always and if things get too tough you can always hit the reset button. <laughs> I remember that one. Um, I remember the original Kirby commercial where it was comparing Kirby to a Rambo Super Rambo. Um, shoot him up, action hero. Oh he's yeah, like, this, really this guy's got muscles. He's got guns. All Kirby has is appetite, and then Kirby literally eats the guy and spits him out in a wad of flesh. Yeah, Kirby's tough, guys. Ten-year-old boys, you don't have to be ashamed of playing Kirby games. Yep, 
and um, the original Wario Land commercial where it had Wario coming out of a hypnosis circle in the TV screen going, you are getting very greedy. Oh, yeah, that Your one. name is Wario. You are incredibly handsome, and you want a castle bigger than Mario's. Yes. Mm. I'm remembering way too many of these. Um, yeah, those are that's the classics. Let's also, see, Tam a... contributes this uh, possibly being the commercial you were referring to for Secret yeah. of Mana. Y- that looks like it. Yep, that, it, that would be it. Um, what else was there? Um, I remember some of the old Toonami commercials for stuff like Ico. Oh, yeah, they did do that. Yeah. Um, I'm not remembering any bad ones, but I didn't pay attention yeah. to them. Yeah. Well, I mean, like. Uh, but for my favorites, for least Jap- favorite Japanese ones. Least so. favorite. I don't. The thing is, I don't watch a lot of the TV channels that play a lot of the um, Japanese game commercials. But uh, okay, there was there was one there. It was for Grand Blue Fantasia. Mm-hmm. And in in standard Japanese um, abbreviation format, Grand Blue got tr- um, shortened to Grabudu. It's a Gurando. Yeah. It's a Grabudu. And um, in the commercial, the parents and the older daughter were talking about playing the game and the younger son was confused because grabberu sounds like it should be a verb in Japanese. Yeah. And so, um, and they were treating it like it was something embarrassing. Oh, no. So it was, it was like, um, it was like, okay, do we need to have the talk with this eight-year-old? Kind of embarrassing. Yes. So that's probably going to be the worst one for me, for Japanese. Uh... I actually just thought of a Japanese... Com- well, it's an ad. It wasn't a TV spot, but it was an ad that was, like, one of those ones that it's just like, this is just kind of shameful that this happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is... Uh, the ad for Metal Gear Solid Peace Walker that ran in print mm-hmm. featured the president of Enterbrain. Mm-hmm. And you might know Enterbrain as the publisher of Fami- F- Famitsu. Oh. And it just seems like there's a big conflict of interest there. Just a bit in there. And it's just like, oh, that's just kind of gross that that happened. Yeah. Okay, but for f- new favorite Japanese video game commercials, this one that I saw at the store um, just two weekends ago, and apparently it was actually on TV for a bit, it was for uh, Biohazard 7, or Resident Evil 7. Yeah. This is an actual series. They made three of these commercials. Hmm. And it was like, it starts off with one of the, like, a, just a blip of one of the scarier scenes in the game. And yeah. it, then it goes to a big, big happy sign that says, Re- um, Biohazard doesn't have to be that scary. And then the entire commercial is done in puppets. <laughs> it is the it is the four lords of Resident Evil Seven. Oh, it's, it's as, Resident Evil in 8 the that style you're of, of yeah. Japanese Saturday morning children's show puppets. Oh, that God. sounds incredible. And and I'll I think this is the up. second. I think it was the second one. They actually sent one or more, or I think maybe all of the puppets through the Machine Guy's dismemberment engine. <laughs> I mean, it's like. 
this is hilarious and disturbing, and why does it look like children's morning television? <laughs> oh, it's memorable. I'll give it that. Yeah. Um, I put it. I think I posted it to um, to Twitter um, two weekends back. I was wondering why this sounded familiar. I didn't actually. I like saw a bit of it, but I didn't see all of it. But yeah, there were three of them for a second in parts one, two, and three, and this is just. I mean. Yeah, it's it's yeah. The, the four lords of Biohazard Eight yeah. Village, not Seven Eight, um, as Muppets basically. I'm into it. Yeah, uh, we also got to get back to Biohazard so that you can reach Village. I know, I know. Um, now I've already spoiled myself in the entire story because I don't care to play the game. Yeah, yeah, but we also have to do it because he enjoys the game, so he needs to get to it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but any other good, uh, I mean, different kind of a what the heck just happened video game commercial, not exactly for a game, but I remember years ago seeing a commercial for the Nintendo Wii mm -hmm. that just proved how oversaturated the market was at the time. Yeah. Because it was not a, it was not a commercial that focused on gaming it was a commercial that focused on the usability or the viability of the Nintendo Wii as an internet access point for senior citizens. <laughs> wow. Yes. It's like, Grandma and Grandpa, you can use a Wii to access the internet. Yeah, well, you could. <laughs> yes, you could, in fact. Uh, but just the fact that that commercial existed showed exactly how much market penetration that system had in Japan. Because yeah. that was the only demographic left to buy, to sell it to. How do I sell this to anyone else? How do we sell this to the last people who haven't bought one? Yes. I mean, I never yeah. had one, and but I was tempted a few times, but I never did. <laughs> I mean, I didn't have a lot of time to play to begin with, so... And yeah, the, the thing that, we, that I brought up for great Japanese commercials was the Sagata Sanchiro ads. Oh, that was always good, too. Yeah. So, we got our bases covered. Yeah. Oh, I do remember seeing the the um, Puzzle and Dragons commercial featuring Pentatonix. Hmm. Huh. It was actually pretty good. Have you ever seen the Crystal Chronicles Crystal Bearers commercial with Bon Jovi? No, I have not. It was only in Japan. You don't say. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't actually watch a lot of the TV channels that they would put these commercials on to begin with, except for... I have seen Dragon Quest commercials on everything, but that just... Just Dragon Quest. Um, yeah. Yeah, other than that, yeah. No. Let's also hit question 84, I think. Mm-hmm. Since you're the only one equipped to handle it anyway. So which question? Uh, 84. Uh, Michael, I usually hear the phrase at the end of many old Japanese game commercials, like this, uh, it's the best transliteration, it is uh, Koyo Hashibai uh, Ishu. I remember someone saying that it means on sale to great acclaim. It's just correct. You, well, the hashibai is probably hatsubai, oh, which means which means go on sale. Mm -hmm. 
Hatsubai, maybe Hatsubai Shimas or something like that. That would make sense. Um, Koyo. Um, you know what? Let me just go to my good friend Google Translate here. Because that's this is the kind of thing that Google Translate is actually good for. Oops, you know, change the language. Stock phrases. Yeah. Uh, yeah, change the language off of Romanian. Okay. <laughs> I was kind of in an argument or a discussion online a while back about whether or not Lady Ro um, Dimitrescu from Resident Evil Village actually counted as a vampire. Uh, because this person was very much of the opinion that um, since they're um, because of the origin of her state of being and what she actually was, she could not be considered a vampire. And I'm like, dude, she is a tall, sensuous lady of the Carpathian Alps who lives in a castle with her three quote unquote daughters. And she has porphyria, drinks blood and vampirizes other victims. It's one of those things. It's like vampires been vampire is not about the mechanics of vampirism, but like once you get to that, like like it's a lot wrapped up in the aesthetic, and also like she's drinking blood for whatever reason that she's choosing to do it. <laughs> she is so definitely intended to be a vampire. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, um, you know, I'm not quite sure which word he is going for here, but I'm not finding it as close to that thing as possible. So, you know, let's go here. Let's try from the other direction. Acclaim. Oops, let's change this back to English. Okay. Acclaim. <laughs> Shosan. Oh, come on. Let's see. Acclaim. One of those fun things. There's probably a lot of words that could translate as a claim in certain circumstances. <laughs> one of these does not actually give me a pronunciation, which is kind of a... Maybe oh, Kyo is one of them. Um, yeah, I'm not quite sure, but yeah, Hatsubai Shimas is definitely go on sale, and I'm not sure if a claim is even the word that they're... I'm not even sure if his friend has the right translation. Yeah, unclear, so... Uh, inconclusive, unless we can get a better idea of what the phrase you're referring to is. So, Fireminer, if you can find a commercial where this is used, that might help. Mm -hmm. uh, but, yeah, if you can, get back to us. Uh, I think that's about it for what we will be able to cover tonight. We've gone through, like, six or seven questions. We went through a bunch of ones that you would not have much to say about because they were Western RPG shit, so... Okay. Well, I think there was at least something on the podcast forum. Uh, oh, we talked yeah. about... Oh, what? Oh, there was one but, under the one talking about... Uh, oh, yeah, there games. was a thing specific to you. Yeah. So, also, Michael, have you ever tried to find out if there is any people in Amazon plagiarizing your books and selling them as their own? <laughs> I have a friend who does self-publishing, and after six months of her book's debut, she found over a dozen people just straight up took her work, changed the title and cover, and sold them. Well, not me personally. Um, I know that this has suddenly become a major issue again with the lit RPG community. Um, somebody was literally just changing the titles on the covers and republishing them. Um, I have not seen anything like that. I've got my eyes open looking at other things. Um, I have occasionally run into people claiming to have my physical books available on new or, or 
used. Um, which this is something that just comes up. They will they've got like an algorithm or something, and they will just put it up there whenever a new book shows up. Huh. Um, I can say this with some certainty because I the first one of these I ever found was offering one of my paperback collections it had like two used and one new, and I knew that there was exactly one physical copy of this book in existence, and it was on my bookshelf. Wow! <laughs> At that time. <laughs> So yeah, most of the most of those are just talking out their butts and hoping to get a hit. Um, but after seeing that question, I actually did Google up my stuff the other day, or yeah. last weekend, and I did find something. Hmm. I found a a it would look like a forum thread asking where I could where somebody could find my second collection in ebook format, which does not exist, by the way. Because yeah. uh, it's done episodically, and there was an entire thread about um, talking about this one site that you could go to to read it, and I clicked it. Oh, it's, uh, it's behind a paywall. Uh, I did not. Oh, that's even, even worse. <laughs> oh no, no, it gets better. Um, because it's like seven hundred some or seven thousand something or other reviews, and I'm like, something's off here. Especially considering the entire. I didn't mention this. The entire forum thread was in Japanese. Who's better than you? Huh. Not only that, it was in slightly off Japanese. Hmm. Because, I mean, for example, um, you know the verb to find? Like, mitsukeru? Um, the, the topic started off with, I can't find this book. Which is yeah. patently impossible because it's, yeah, if you're looking for my, my pen name, it's the first thing to ever come up. Um, but they, yeah, mitsukeru has is normally written with the uh, the kanji to see and then hiragana tsukeru. Yeah. But technically, it's actually kanji, two kanji, the see kanji and the connection kanji, and then keru. Yeah. Nobody ever writes it that way. <laughs> this person did. This Which person thought it out via translate. Oh, no, 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 it gets better, it gets better. So I, um, I searched up the, or I googled the website that was hosting this came up with over a dozen different threads asking for different books with the exact same conversation huh. verbatim i sent a th i sent a link over to a friend asked them to look at it and just to make sure because i was pretty sure that that when he looked at it he would see it in english which he did huh. a different friend saw it in english and german depending on which computer he was looking through None of the links on that page actually functioned except for the one that takes you to the reading of the uh, book um, page. The one that's trying to get you to pay money. Like weird phantom sites. <laughs> no, the entire forum did not exist. It was a mock-up. Yeah. Yeah. So weird. Yeah. And it was set to... Uh, it was made to set itself to the home language of whatever... I, uh, whatever ISP was accessing it. Weird. Which is why we ended up seeing it in four different languages. <laughs> exact same thing. Apparently the German translation was even worse. So. Um, in any case, um, I, checked I checked several of the other links for the other books that had apparent threads, and each and every one of them had the exact same number of likes and reviews. Fascinating. The, I mean, four digits, 
not I mean, it looks incredibly random, but it's the exact same one for all of these threads. That's a weird thing. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So basically, yeah, there is, uh, there are a bunch of con artists on the internet who just, um, just spoof books. Doesn't matter what book because they never know what's actually going to hit. And um, just leave it passively lying around. And so again, to the best of my knowledge, no one has actually ripped off any of my stories. Let's get at least. Yes. <laughs> Um, and it's also, as far as I know, nobody has actually fallen for that book service. Um, Thankfully. <laughs> and hopefully, I mean, I'm hoping that they would actually trust Google more than that thing. But, yeah. Especially since I, I actually found the page through Google, but it was like the eighth result down. Hmm. Um, and the first seven results were all me anyway. <laughs> well, fair enough. Fair enough. You still got the market cornered. And where can they find this lovely book? Oh, on Amazon Kindle and Kindle Unlimited, of course. Um, Princesses of the Pizza Parlor, episodes one through nine, plus one side story. I need. I still need to put the second side story up eventually. <laughs> or if you are more into physical things, we have three physical print editions, including the second side story in there. So... It is uh, fun for all ages. The original intended audience was my, at that time, 10-year-old niece. She's 15 now. She still enjoys it. Oh. Uh, yeah. Um, I've had some very nice reviews from people who um, do D&D with kids and are just like, yep, this is, how, this is how it should be, or I wish my kids were this well-behaved, or um, somebody obviously knows what they're talking about, which I don't, but that's just between us. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's like one of the reviews here is like, I played D and D. Nowhere nearly as good as the uncle in in the story, but it's interesting and well written and clear to understand for any age. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And of course, there's the, my one three-star review, which I'm going to lampoon in the next episode, certainly. Because <laughs> no, it's right about the time we're in the metagame. Most of the players are having to do last-minute summer reading to catch up before actual school year starts. Oh, no. And we're going to make fun of... We're going to make fun of reader reviews. Oh, no. Awesome. Specifically, this one review. <laughs> <laughs> because I can. And it's like, yeah. This is, this is your choice. This is your power. Yeah. I mean, I, I put enough random inside jokes into these stories anyway. Why not? Huh? Why not? Yeah, why not? I miss that I had a different anonymous Canadian review oh, nice. from last May. Wow. I somehow completely missed that one. Yay. And it's, uh, I mean, it's short. Hmm. But. Hmm. That doesn't have to be a bad thing. <laughs> as long as it's a good review. Otherwise, we will destroy it. 
conflicts or anything, any final notes, uh, watch my Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash askwheels. I don't do anything, but you should try to find me anyway. See if you can stop me, cowards. I'm the only one that knows where I hit it. Um, you usually find him on most of my streams. Yeah. Yelling at me to stop sucking at video me. games. <laughs> no, sometimes I'll be disinterestedly playing a different video game. Oh, that too. That too. But, yeah. Uh, so that, that can happen, I guess. Uh... Otherwise, I think we're done here. I think so. Gaijin, that good with you as well? Gaijin. 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 Stealing my bit. <laughs> That's not a copyrighted song anymore, right? Uh, public it domain. might be. Oh, crap. Buddy, I sang like the entire thing. Let's, uh... Let's see, Gaijin might have disconnected. Oh. Yeah, right. uh, Gaijin's not connected, so... Alright, let's end the recording, and then I'm gonna stream, uh... Uh, Crypt of the Necrodancer for a few minutes. Alright, uh, that's all folks. Okay. Space. Oh wait, wait, wait you can wait. put questions in the podcast section of Discord, or the stream chat, or in the comment section under this very episode. Or yell at me on Twitter. That's oh, also an option. Uh, smoke signals, whatever, as long as we hear the question we will one day answer it. Um, but otherwise, see ya Space Cowboys. In the dark when you feel lost Wanna be the best but at what cost If you're gonna stay here Nothing's ever changing No big world gotta see it all Gotta get up even when you fall There's no point in waiting